Welcome to episode seven of Team Brit Talks. Team Brit aims to be the first all-disabled team to race in the Le Mans 24-hour and supports people with physical and psychological challenges in accessing motorsport through its racing academy. On the show, we'll be talking all things Team Brit, meeting the drivers, crew, friends and sponsors, and discussing the issues at the centre of inclusion in motorsport. I'm Lucy Sheehan, and today I'm joined by Team Brit driver Aaron Morgan. Aaron joined Team Brit last year, joining Bobby Trundley to drive the Aston Martin in the Brit Car Endurance Championship. Aaron was originally a motocross racer, a hobby and passion that started for him at the age of seven. In April 2006, he broke his spine in an accident riding a jump on his favourite track. It wasn't long before Aaron returned to motorsport, becoming the youngest disabled person to achieve a national B-race licence. In 2014, he began racing in the BMW Compact Cup and was the only disabled driver to compete. This year, Aaron teams up with Bobby once more in the endurance category of Brick Car. Hello, Aaron. Good morning, Lucy. Morning, Aaron. Good to speak to you. Um, uh, We've got absolutely loads to talk about today. But the first thing we have to discuss is your incredible start to the season. Uh, You and Bobby raced in round one at Silverstone in April, taking a P2. And in round two at Snetterton, where you took a P2 in race one, then P1 in race two. What an amazing opener for the year. How does it feel to have achieved this already? Yeah, like you say, it's been been an absolutely incredible start to the year um, beyond, you know, beyond my wildest expectations. Um, we, you, you mentioned we got we got a second at Silverstone as well, and but during the first race, I, I did actually challenge for third place, so it could have been a double podium. Unfortunately, I made a small mistake, but I'm obviously you know every every step along the way is always a big learning curve, so I'm going to learn from that mistake and obviously take that into future races. Then, as you say, we're, we're greeted with some absolutely torrential weather at Snetterton, so morning practice on the Saturday morning and qualify qualifying and race one was very treacherous. Um, but, you know, so that tested um, minor Bobby's skills to the absolute max, but we were both able to rise to the occasion and, as you say, achieve second place in the first race and first in the second race. Absolutely incredible achievement for the whole team. Oh, it, it's just brilliant to see. And, uh, you know, I wasn't there, but seeing the pictures, seeing the videos and hearing you all talk about it, it was just brilliant. And did you go into Silverstone and that first race of the year, feeling confident because it had been so long since you'd raced. 2020 had obviously been really disrupted. So did you go in knowing that you had a chance to be seriously competitive from the outset? It, it's, it's always a tough one, if I'm honest. You know, as you mentioned, I started racing in the Compact Cup in 2014. So uh, I've been, a, and obviously motocross before that, I've, I've been around racing long enough to know that you can always end the season feeling really confident on how you're going to do for the next one. Um, but in or from past experience, you know, you'll, you'll rock up to the, say, the start line for race one and you think, oh, yeah, I can beat him, him, him and him. But and then there'll, there'll be a few unknowns in the pack as well. And, you know, that they're able to come out swinging and they're able to be really fast. So, uh, you know, as I say, experience has sort of taught me to never to never sort of count your chickens too early. Um, but I know, obviously, Al and the mechanics put an incredible amount of work into the car through the winter. Both Bobby and I were working on our physical uh, condition to be ready for the race. And obviously, working with our driver coach, coach Max Coates, as well, um, we, yeah, we went into the races feeling confident we could we could do well. Brilliant. I suppose it's anybody's game on the day, isn't it? But as you say, you do everything you can in the preparation to give yourself the best chance. Yeah, exactly. All, all you can do is have yourself in, in the best 
can uh, best position possible and then every, everything else is all just left out on the track brilliant so by the time you were at Snetterton and you'd come away with silverware in race one hopes must have been quite high um and obviously you, you absolutely smashed it um and amazingly in race two at Snetterton you unfortunately had a spin on an early corner but you pulled it back gaining places and then handing over to Bobby in such a strong position that he was then able to take the team win um so what went through your head during the spin because that must be a really scary moment and then how do you keep your cool to bring yourself back into the race in the way that you did <laughs> um so yeah as you mentioned you know the early spin I was a if I'm honest, I was sort of shut my eyes a bit. I was like, oh, please don't anyone hit me. Um, but <laughs> after that, when if 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 and when you make an early mistake in the race, it it's it just seems to ignite me. Um, you know, I sort of saw the red mist a bit, and I was like, right, let's go. Come on, we're good. You you know, you've done this now. But um, fortunately enough, obviously with the endurance races, we've got an hour, um, so there there is the time to be able to make it up. And that's you must that's must take quite a strong mindset because you know you did quite an incredible thing there to pull it back and then as I say get yourself into such a strong position that you could hand over to Bobby in the way that you did. So I suppose it's about you know it sounds a bit corny but we are you know our motto is believe and achieve and I suppose you didn't see that as the end of the race. It was about okay let's keep going and let's pull it back. No, definitely, and you know that's one thing you often hear sort of a lot of racing drivers say you know just never give up. Um, never or never give up until the checker flag uh, drops. So you know, as I mentioned, <laughs> I saw the red mist. Obviously, at the same time, needed to maintain my composure to to not make another mistake and compound that one. Um, but yeah, it's just it's, it's something I've I've learned uh, sort of along my journey of of being disabled to just never give up. Um, so yeah, that that was sort of the appro the approach and the mindset which I took after making that early mistake. Now I, I honestly think that this is the year where people look, who are yet to notice the team um, and everything we're about will start to take us more seriously. Uh, you know, we've now stated our intention to move into British GT next year. Um, that would put us one step away from being able to apply for Le Mans, which is obviously our long term goal. Um, you and Bobby are now showing that this isn't a throwaway comment. It's a reality. So does it feel like quite a pivotal time for you as a driver? Yeah, I, I think I, I think it, it is pivotal. Yes, you're right. Um, you know, we're, we, we've often said, um, we said at the launch, or I know I said, said at the launch event, what we proved last year was by achieving the podiums that we did, that we're, we're not just here to take part and make up the numbers. And I know that, that echoes throughout the whole team. We're, we're not just here, as I say, to, to make up the numbers. We're out there to achieve success, which we, we sort of dipped our toe in the water doing last year. Um, and then obviously we've, we've come, come out kicking, kicking at the start of this year and we've immediately down the marker to show that we're not we're not a team as I mentioned to make up the numbers we're there to achieve the success that we deserve and what would it mean are you you know we're going to talk about your background in motor sport and the fact that it's been a big part of your life um so what would it mean to you to race in British GT next year yeah it, it would mean absolutely everything um you know if if um when I was lying in my hospital bed in 2006, if you then told me, you know, 50, 15 years down the line, Aaron, you're going to be competing in the biggest GT championship in the UK, yeah, uh, I, you know, I wouldn't have believed anything you said. Kind of, it's as I mentioned before, it's what I've been able to achieve since my accident has exceeded my wildest dreams. So let's go back then, and so for people that don't know your story, let's sort of 
touch on um, how you got to where you are now um, and kind of what you went through over the years. So motorsport has been central to your life and has been, you, you know, your passion for um, probably as long as you can remember. And you started on two wheels rather than four. So how did you originally get into motocross? Yeah, so um, there was one one Christmas. Um, I'm not really sure what the motivation for it was. My my granddad said to my mum and dad that he wanted to buy me a quad bike for Christmas. I guess just, you know, just for fun to explore the lanes on and stuff. My parents did some research about the about quad bikes and found that they they sort of flip over quite easy. And obviously, if if the if they land on you, they are quite heavy and can be quite dangerous. So in the end, they obviously they 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 spoke him out of it. And as a compromise, they bought me a little 50 cc motorbike. Um, now originally, I, I just started riding it around uh, random fields um, just to get used to riding a bike, um, and you know using the throttle and the brakes and stuff. But then. I started saying to my dad, you know, can, can you make me a little track up? So he used to build me sort of a track out of just um, just sticks and stuff. He said, right, so I'm going to go around that outside of this stick and inside of that one. Um, and then, you know, I did that for a few months. And after that, I was like, right, I, I want someone to compete against now. So that, that was when um, we joined our local, local motocross club. And then it all snowballed from there, really. We, I competed every every weekend um you know, often family members were like um you know having a family get together this weekend can you come along we're like, no we're going racing they were like you did that last week like, yeah we're going racing again <laughs> so it really it really took over the whole family's life um as i mentioned for every weekend of the year um but it was it was something you know the whole family loved my mom and dad made some made some good friends through it um and we used to have a big uh, motorhome so we used to take that on the saturday night mom and dad <laughs> were out sat outside the van drinking um and then obviously my mum um myself obviously just loved the racing plot so it, it turned out to be a whole family thing um but that that made it even better because you know everybody enjoyed going along to the race meetings yeah a lot of people say who have grown up with racing that it becomes part of family life and everybody gets involved so it sounds like that was the case for you um so um how old were you when, when you started when, when were that first race was it seven eight yeah, so I was seven years old when I did my first race, um, and then my motocross career spanned eight years. Um, so as, as I grew older, the the bike. So I started off on a 50cc motorcycle, um, then moved up to the 65cc class, 85cc, and then my final bike was 125cc Yamaha. Um, then, as you say, when I when I was 15 years old, I had the accident, which I did on, funny enough, on my favourite track, when I done hundreds of laps on, um, but. Uh, I don't know. I can't remember what actually happened to me, um, but I'm really glad that I don't because if if I did, then it would, you know there would be a, a voice in the back of my mind saying, you know, Aaron, why did I, why did you do this? Why did you do this? But because I can't remember, I've been able to to leave it in the past and just just really crack on and get on with my life as it is now, being a disabled person. Okay, and 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 you know, you said that. You, you wanted to get on with your life and you quite clearly did and you went you were back at school back at university um fairly soon actually after your um your time in uh, in hospital for your for your rehab and recovery um and it was actually can you tell us a bit about your time in hospital and how you actually then went on to get your race license yeah of course um so w- when i was in hospital um, it was quite funny at first because i was 15 i was i was placed on a pediatric ward so 
you know, all, all the other patients in the ward were, you know, young, young, really, really small, premature babies. And then there was just me, some big old, lo- big old loaf lying in the bed. Um, <clears throat> but qu- very quickly after, well, I don't actually remember being told that, you know, I'd broken my back and I'd never be able to walk again. Um, but quickly after that, I was actually told that I stopped breathing for a total of nine minutes um at the motocross track so that very quickly made me realize um just how lucky i was to still be alive so after i think everybody goes through it there's there's a initial phase where you, you think you know what wh- why me why did this happen to me you, go go literally do all the maths you, you think oh right you know there's you know 50 say 50 motocross races every weekend you know on average there's four races for every rider that's there um in a race they do 20 laps so they do a total of 50 jumps a lap and you know it goes goes through all your head you're just thinking you know why me why me why me but as i say learning that i stopped breathing for nine minutes and just realizing just how incredibly lucky i was to still be alive um made me realize that um i just needed to embrace the being disabled part and you know as i say get get back on with my life so a very a very quick um a very keen goal setter so i very quickly set myself the goals um i've been a I've been a academic and sporting achiever from a young age so i was very as you say i was very keen to go back to college um i actually started doing college work <laughs> at the hospital um my friends got the tutors to email me some work to do um so i used to complete that whilst i was in hospital then um as you mentioned went on to to pass uh, uh, graduate from university with a 2-1 degree in sports science as well um in addition to that uh i was also told by my occupational therapist when i was in hospital that um disabled people can learn to drive when they're 16 years old so <laughs> very quickly after having my 16th birthday in hospital i applied for my driving license and funny enough i actually found a driving instructor who used to drive to the hospital so uh, used to wheel my chair out to wheel my chair out of the ward um jump in the driving instructor's car the nurses used to take my wheelchair back into the ward um and then an hour later we would rock after our driving lesson we'd rock back up um i was lucky enough to pass my driving test when i was still 16 years old as well that's amazing and what a way for your occupational therapist to find a way to really engage you and turns you into you know something really positive and set you on the track to recovery I think that's such a great story and so I wonder if um, that's something that happens very often it's it's a brilliant way to have started getting you back back on the road really wasn't it and, so, and, and, and an early way to do it yeah definitely I mean you know as I said I was very keen to goal set so um, as I mentioned no I wanted to get back you know back into my academic studies and stuff through my college work um and then obviously learning that i learning that i could drive as well was an, another key one in um you know being just being independent again um not having to rely on parents or friends and stuff to to give me a lift everywhere and stuff like that so you know i think for for every disabled person or you know for, for everybody in real life but even more so for disabled people being able to drive and not having to rely on public transport which can be dodgy at the best of times um in terms of accessibility just just being able to drive and be independent like that just makes such a huge difference in your life and obviously has ultimately led me on to believe as you say believe that motor racing is possible for disabled people and show me the way that that can be done so you were 16 you'd got your driving license um at what point did you make the decision that 
you wanted to get back into motorsport and that you would need to go after your race license? As a young child, um, my dad was a very keen go-karter and through go-karting he met met a friend who raced in rallycross as well. Um, now John, the rallycross driver, he had always owned, he always owned a motorsport preparation company as long as we knew him. So I we were, went to watch him race rallycross from all all the, all the time up to when I was seven and I started motocross. Um, so he'd always owned a motorsport business. Um, and then shortly after my accident, I said to my dad, um, you know, if, you, if you've spoken to John recently, my dad was a bit hesitant at first saying, you know, because we hadn't seen him much through the eight years, which I'd motocross raced or kept in contact much, if I'm honest. Um, uh, I, he said, oh, you know, he might not remember us, you know, he might not remember who we are, but um, <laughs> like, all, like all kids do, I kept pushing him and pushing him and pushing him. And eventually they, they you know, he called him up and... Uh, they, they, funny enough, they got like a house on fire again. And John, John said to my dad, you know, we're we're racing at Brands Hatch, you know, the, the following weekend. We, would you like to come along and obviously watch? Um, no, when um when we were there, he John obviously told us that his business had developed and they now had two two branches, um, one in the original one in Bracknell and the new one in Southampton, which they were looking to merge into one premises. Funny enough, into Basingstoke where, where I live, so their workshop now is only ten minutes down the road, um. But John said, as part of this, um, as part of the publicity for the merge, they'd love to build me a race car um, to get me back into motor racing. Um, you know, obviously he said they they could build build the car because they've done that umpteen times, but it would be up to me to go to the motorsport association and gain my gain my national B racing license. Um, so if, if I mean, if I'm honest, when when I was lying in my hospital bed and th- through my hospital stay. I kind of thought my motor racing days were over, um, but as I mentioned, through learning to drive on the road again, and then obviously through being given this massive opportunity by John to get back into involved into motor racing as well, just just really opened up my horizons to to what disabled people can achieve and can do in their life, and to learn that n- nothing is ever impossible. It just has to be done slightly differently. That's a very good way to explain it. And in terms of doing things differently, was it difficult to get a race license? Did you find the procedure was, um, I know it's very different for a disabled driver to an able-bodied driver, but was it something simple or was it a, was it a difficult process? It was It was quite a, lo- a long and lengthy process. Um, there, there are a number of extra hurdles um, that disabled people have to go through in order to gain their race license, which um, is, is an understandable perspective but doing it back here i know um dave obviously the the team brit founder has um been campaigning a lot over recent years in order to get to to level the level the process a little bit more than what it was but you know back when i did it in 2007 2008 it it was quite a bit tougher than it is these days yeah and it's great to see that good progress has been made and as you say Dave is a real supporter of that to try and make everything as smooth as possible and to make everything as accessible as it can so it's great to see that we've we've made it we've made a change and and helped with the improvements Um, and when you started racing again did you find it was um, quite a natural transition moving from two wheels to four from you know riding a bike to riding uh, racing a car obviously riding a bike is is a lot different to driving a car it hasn't it wasn't completely seamless um when when I initially raced, I know the the organisers of the championship which I joined were were quite you know quite um, apprehensive that I may you know 
of my driving ability and you know that I may just be a mobile chicane at the back of the pack but you know that that's to be expected as as I mentioned back in 2007 eight kind of time there wasn't many disabled drivers on the track at all to who so they could gauge your racing ability to um but I very quickly showed them that you know I, I was as I, as I mentioned before I wasn't just there to make up the numbers I was there to to achieve success and I, I was competitive straight out of the box um but you know that that being said like like I mentioned before um, it hasn't been a completely seamless transition. There have been a, a few learning curves along along the way, um, but you know, I think that's that's um, a lesson relevant to life in general as well. You know, you're always learning and you never know it all. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's still such a long way for the whole team to go and and your part within that is really important. And it's great to see, um, you know, you moving up and potentially going to this next stage next year. And I know that Dave and Al and everyone will put everything, all the infrastructure around you that you need to to develop in the way that we hope. So it's it's great to see. Um, And there are other organisations that help disabled uh, races, uh, including uh, things like the bike experience that help disabled people get back into motorbike racing. Was that something that ever tempted you? If I'm honest, I the, the, the for me personally, the way I see it is that I did, you know, I raced motocross for eight years. Um, I've only got good memories of it. Um, you know, I met some amazing people that I'm still friends to to this day with. Um, we you know, we travelled to some amazing places. Um, you know, I've only got good memories of it. I don't think riding again as a disabled person would be the same as when you're able-bodied. So I, I, I don't want to kill my memory or my good memories by mm-hmm. sort of tainting it of maybe later years of sort of really, you know, just sh- struggling around the track. Um, you know, I just want to just want to hold on to my positive memories is the way out there's my personal opinion on that well we don't want to lose you to bikes so yeah we're happy that you'll be staying in cars for now (laughs) (laughs) okay so final question then Aaron and it's quite a big one uh how far do you think Team Brit can go I definitely think this the sky's the limit for Team Brit and um it's it's an incredible part part and I feel incredibly lucky to be part of this journey um both as we mentioned at the start of this uh podcast both Bobby and I are achieving regular success in the Brit Car Endurance Championship and you know, we're, we're going to be doing, uh, giving our absolute everything to make sure that continues through the rest of the season. And obviously we've got uh, British GT to look forward to next year, which will just, just be an incredible series to be part of. And that is largely down to the f- effect of everybody uh, within the team. Uh, so whether that's the mechanics, the back office staff, the incredible number of supporters, which uh, b- both the team have and I do personally, um, and I'm incredibly grateful to all the support which they give us following our entry into british gt um we'll be one step closer to two racing at le mans so i think very quickly after we enter british gt that a le mans entry could be possible and then after that regular regular um entries into le mans could be possible i definitely think race wins at le mans are definitely possible as well and after that i think regular entries into the european and world endurance series could be possible as well so with dave and the rest everybody in and around the team always driving for success i definitely think the sky is the limit well that's brilliant what an answer um yeah i believe it too and i think with everything all the support that we've got we can do it so thanks so much aaron it's been great talking to you today thank you very much lucy 